Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the Showtime original series Ray Donovan, starring Emmy nominees Liev Schreiber, John Voight, and special guest star Susan Sarandon. Ray is back doing what he does best, solving the problems and burying the secrets of LA's rich and famous. Don't miss the new season of Ray Donovan every Sunday at 9, only on Showtime. Download the Showtime app now and start your free trial. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing, except for me, because I'm wearing Mack Weldon. Oh. Mack Weldon is the official underwear of Prestige Television. I don't. I haven't checked that with Mack Weldon, but I'm going to go with that. Have you checked the underwear of everyone on Prestige I'm Television? the Don Draper of Mack Weldon. Do you know who wears Mack Weldon underwear? Ray Donovan. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities. So they work hard too, even if you're just sitting on the couch. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. And if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they will still refund you, no questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com, become part of of the Mack Weldon Peak TV Underwear Revolution and get 20% off your first purchase using the promo code WATCH. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am a writer and an editor at TheRigger.com. You're so much more than that. And joining me in the studio, he just made his heel turn. It's Andy Greenwald! Oh, I see. That's a wrestling thing. Yeah, because you have special guests today. Mm-hmm. Take it from here, brother. Every day is special with you. Today, Chris, I was joined by the co-creators of the Netflix series Glow, Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch. It was great. We had, had a wonderful conversation. Good. I can't wait to listen to it. All of us are recent transplants from the city of New York. So we talked a lot about the pleasures of bulk buying uh, sparkling water at Gelson's. Um, actually, that was all off mic, bro. Don't worry. Was it? Yeah, we didn't. We saved. It was just just jewels. I was going to say, you're not really sensing the wave of populism sweeping this <laughs> That's nation. true. No, seriously, though, I, you and I both agree that Glow is one of the best new shows of the year. And it was really terrific to talk to them about how they made something that felt so immediately pleasurable and lovable and familiar, like basically making a show that is not... Uh, aggressive, trying to shock us, whatever. It's a show that is deeply interested emotionally in the humanity of its characters and just gave us an ensemble that like from jump, one episode in, you want more. You love these guys. Uh, I'm really excited to listen to this. Yeah, you weren't here for it. This was a solo flight. (laughs) Wasn't invited. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I saw you this morning at the old studio commissary and you just, you were were line iteming your schedule. You're a very busy guy. You are guesting on a number of high profile podcasts. I was really excited because it was today at the, the, the sort of commissary that we have in the lot where we work. Yeah. You were at one table. Yep. Micah Peters was at another mm-hmm. table. Separate table. And Jason Concepcion was at a separate table, but in a line. Yeah. As if you guys were either A, having an intervention for me, or B, like just waiting for me to come and, and knock it, out it my was, business. With it you. was like the spud scene at the interview in train spotting, you know, when he's like <laughs> on speed. <laughs> you approached us with the same kind of a level headed gaze. Yeah. By the way, fun fact. We did our socializing prior to that. Then we were all just doing our work and prepping. So that's what happened. I get it. 
Also, it was interesting because uh, Micah and I, our journey began in the parking structure this morning. Oh, so you guys have spent and, a lot of time together today. And, and we talked about, I was going to be interviewing uh, Liz and Carly from Glow, and he said he had watched three episodes, and he was particularly a fan of Betty Gilpin's drunk scene in, I believe, the third episode. Yeah, when they go to the wrestling match. They go to the wrestling match, and... I was like, oh, you, uh, are you, uh, you know, Gilpenhive? Are you a big, big Betty fan? And he said, yes, because I loved her as a socially awkward programmer on elementary. And I was like, yeah, this it's is tough, man. This it's is like the, the millennials have like an incredible. But also, like, isn't this an interesting topic of conversation? Like wh- the secret thing that you watch when you think no one else is watching, but also how that leads you to know people in a very specific <laughs> odd context. I yes. was like, so basically a star of Nurse Jackie, who has been a leading theater actress in New York for a decade, you know her from her one-off, just just <laughs> jump off as a Lady Bill Gates on Elementary. <laughs> um, Andy, you know, Glow is on uh, the Netflix network. Not a network, pal. I know. The it Netflix, is a way of life. The Netflix way of life. Yeah. Do you know what's el- what else is on Netflix? Uh, Fuller House. Do you know what else is on Netflix that's coming back September 1st? Uh, Wet Hot American Summer? Narcos! <laughs> is back! We need new equipment now. <laughs> you broke podcasting. Season three of Narcos is coming back September 1st. We got our, I think like they had like a teaser, mm-hmm. but they really dropped the Cypress Hill on my brain, on my membrane today. They have a trailer. It's uh, largely about the Cali cartel this year. Mm-hmm. It is driven by the, the Lord Pedro Pascal. Yeah. He's, he's got, got that Boyd Holbrook seat. Where's Boyd? I don't know. I think Boyd is just like, uh, I kind of like the idea that this show is immediately setting the parameters where it's like, this show can just keep going, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily need the same characters over and over again. You, you, and you know, in all, a very cool move, yeah. people who are kind of in the background mm-hmm. of season two are seemingly up at the foreground. I love that. But you know, honestly, what do you need to make to make Narcos? You need an active internet connection and Wikipedia. Yeah. And then you can just make the show. You just get some cheap group tickets down to, down to Columbia. Look. I'm going to paraphrase Paul Newman in Color of Money right now. Great. TV excellence is not necessarily about excellent TV. <laughs> You're totally right. So You're totally right. I love this show very deeply. Very it's a it's a big show with the people. You and SZA. And 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 lots of people. I mean, I mean yes, let's let's be clear about something. Netflix does not talk about their data. Um, except when they kind of want to wink and tell you about their data, you right. know what I mean? Right. And it is unproven but unquestionably the case that Narcos is one of, if not their, if not the most popular show on Netflix, um, partly because the subject matter, partly because it's just you just throw it on, it's entertaining, mm-hmm. and partly because, and this is something that maybe it would have gotten dinged for a few years ago, or maybe not gotten made for, it's uh, it's a bilingual show. I also think that in in a weird way, uh, whether you want to call it chicken or the egg, like the the platform or the mode of watching comes before or after the writing of the show. The pollo or huevo, if you will, but the <laughs> Narcos. Ozark model where it's like almost like serialized procedurals like they feel very much in as a like you need to get to A to B. Narcozark. Holy shit. You like that? The Narcozark model. What? Yeah. Get at me Ted Sarandos. (laughs) I can't stop. I can't top that. We're going to talk a lot more about Narcos even if it's just me talking to myself in a mirror. But but it's interesting. Where's the mirror and what is smeared (laughs) on the mirror when you're having this conversation? What you're saying, and we will come back to as we talk about that show and we talk about other Netflix shows to come, it's an interesting way to have a conversation that is essentially about algorithms. Because 
you are basically identifying on a on the creative viewer end mm-hmm. something that they have gotten incredibly good at, which yes. is filling their platform with the type of shows that are enjoyable, satisfying, easy to click on, easy to keep keep clicking. It's not as simple as uh, we used to dismiss it as, oh, it's just bingeable. What does that even mean? Yeah. It's not as simple as just running one episode into the next one. Part of their challenge now, especially as their, if I dare I say it, ecosystem has become so overcrowded, is getting people to start. It's no longer an issue of getting people to continue. It's getting people to start. Right. And they have... Much in- like people trying to get you onto cocaine. Well, no, but I think that they have... An- in this show in particular, and we'll talk more about it once it gets here, they have an epic story that actually does demand multiple seasons of t- of telling. Well, it can support it. I that don't can repeat it. certain beats. You mean like doing cocaine and shooting guns? <laughs> There's actually not as much doing of cocaine on this show as you might think. It's a cautionary tale, really. That's a fable. True. Okay, Andy, we're going to get to your interview with Liz and Carly. Yes, for people who have watched Glow we don't really spoil anything. It's not really a show that can be spoiled, but I think it's a really terrific conversation about creativity and writing in television, whether you have watched Glow or not, although you should watch Glow. Um, let's get into it, right? Yeah, FYI, we're part of the Ringer Podcast Network. You can watch Andy and I every Sunday after the East Coast airing of Game of Thrones on Talk the Thrones, yeah. twitter.com slash ringer or twitter.com slash any of the co-hosts of Talk the Thrones. Those people include myself, Andy Greenwald, Mallory Rubin, Jason Concepcion. Listen to Binge Mode. We will be back on Monday. We're going to talk Thrones and we're going to have another special guest. I we're know. guesting it up. It's the carousel. You mean like in Mad Men? Yeah, it's just like everybody's coming through. Anyway, Liz and Carly, Andy will take you out. Yeah, it's funny that we start mm-hmm. talking oh. by talking about Marin because yeah. I know that Mark Marin likes to talk about his performance on Glow in podcasts about Glow. He so does. we will get to that because it is spectacular. It is spectacular and we're happy to spend time. Yeah. But let me make a more formal beginning by saying <laughs> I'm so happy to have Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch here in a very big, we're in the throne studio with pictures of the dream team behind us. It's um, very dude. It's very boy for us. Face. We Let's like it. Thank, how do you feel about that? Is it, you know, it's we like being dropped into different universes. Where <laughs> Liz and I were just proud that we could name the members of the dream team, which is there's a cardboard cutout behind Andy. Yeah, although Josh. not Chris Mullen. Not Chris yeah. Mullen. Sorry to blow. Up I your got spot. close. I called him Carl. <laughs> well, so I'm like it was related. I know a there's Carl a Carl in the picture. Yeah. Um, thank you for taking the time to join me. I know that you are busy at work, although we're not saying what you're busy at work with, right? Because. Who knows what it could be? Who knows what it Who could knows? be? It could, it could be anything, but you're still yeah. in touch with each other professionally. Is that fair to say? <laughs> it's fair to say. <laughs> but that's we're as cryptic as I guess we, we can get. We're, it's a mysterious <laughs> way Netflix mysterious, works. It's a mysterious time. The, the point is, right if, if Netflix chooses to do a second season of your yeah. fantastic television yes. show, Glow, we'll be you ready will be to ready. go. We'll be we, ready. That's the way these things work. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I lost sleep last night being so excited over a plot line that we've come up with. Yeah. That you may but, not get to use. Yeah. But you yeah. might. Yeah. And I but believe, we'll see. Here we are in the we've here buried we the anxiety in the purgatory. so down deep that. Yeah. Uh, understood. Yeah. I, uh, we, we, I'm starting with the end, which is a sign <laughs> of my scrambled brain. We shouldn't do that. Um, I want to talk to you about the first season of Glow because, as I said on this podcast before, I just loved it. I think it is one of the most purely pleasurable TV experiences I've had in a while. Um, and particularly because in this era of so much TV, um, I think often the wrong lessons are being learned about how to make it. And what you guys tapped into right from the beginning um, is something so pure in in terms of my television watching experience growing up and even today. You gave me a world that I didn't know, full of people that I didn't know either, and then suddenly fell in love with. 
quickly in, 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 in an ensemble too, which is not easy to do. Um, I think people often overreach for let's challenge people or let's surprise people, let's shock them. But it kind of, the formula isn't always that complicated, right? Yeah. I mean, I think going in for us, like that was a big part of it just in terms of like where we wanted to hang out for a while if we got the opportunity, right. you know, like when we were talking about working together um, and we're, you know, we're not a team, we're two friends Writers, and playwrights yeah, yeah. who came together, you know, and worked together on TV a little bit and liked it. <laughs> yeah. And really liked it. And so we, we were like searching around for something. And just when we were talking about what we wanted to, what we were looking for in an idea, it was just like, what's a world we'd want to live in for a long mm -hmm. time and characters we want to care about for a long time. And because it's so, I mean, you said opportunity, like you get 10 episodes and like, we yeah. realized how, like we were immediately aware of kind of how like that's both a responsibility and a gift and it's like who knows if you get 10 more but like yeah. you better make those the 10 best episodes of television that could possibly exist and don't bring an idea to a television network that you don't want to live in either for 10 episodes or for the rest of your life like yeah. it needs to be an idea you're so in love with a world you're so giddy with excitement but so infinitely expandable yes that and I think we kind of knew that. Like, we weren't going to go out and just be like, we want to tell a story about friends. We don't know where. Like, right. we kind of waited until there was something we were that excited about and that kind of, um, yeah, giddy about that, I think. Well, I think a good TV show has to be like a load-bearing mechanism. And you surprise yourself definitely. by how much it can withstand. Yeah. And the great shows can suddenly are seaworthy no matter what you put on well, them. Comedy, like, drama, yeah. whatever. Yeah. if you, The difference yeah. between a movie and a TV show is mm -hmm. pretty is you know there's many differences between a movie and a tv show but this idea that like you should be able to make a thousand episodes of that idea and you don't exhaust the idea and you don't exhaust the people and you you have that much space um yeah that there's no ending that needs to be kind of achieved achieved or like within the premise but i think you know. that we're sort of away from that now um i think maybe it's movie thinking that's infiltrated yeah. tv but we are in an i'm really struck by what you said it's again it's so simple that if you're going to make, if you have the opportunity to make them, make them the best ones you want to make. Tell your story. Don't wait. Don't hold back. I mean, we, we're we in a, a moment where a lot of people are saying, I feel daunted by how many choices are on just Netflix alone. I don't feel like starting something. And so the response to that hasn't been, let's just make great stuff that people want to see. It's let's front load something shocking to get them hooked immediately. And then we'll just figure out the rest later. Yeah. I just think that's not for just in terms of just our temperament as writers. Like, it's just not how we roll. Fundamentally, like I think that's just, it's not how either of us write and it's not how we really think. And so I think that made it, and we're, we, we couldn't fall into a trap that we, that we weren't willing to fall into. I also think because we're both playwrights, like playwrights are people who think about beginning, middle, end, but mm -hmm. not like, that's an inciting incident. That's like, there are a lot of shows that have a really strong, like, here's the premise, yep. but like have no clue where the F they're going to go. Yep. Whereas I think playwrights like inherently think about structure on this huge macro level of like, even right now, it's like, you know, we hope we get like 800 seasons of Glow, but if we didn't, we kind of couldn't, we kind of know where it would end just because that's, that's kind of, I feel like there's a, a sense of responsibility to kind of, a story isn't complete until you take it through all the stages of mm -hmm. kind of like where it could go and what is. Also, it's funny because, you know, we worked together on Nurse Jackie where Liz worked for all seven seasons, all seven mm -hmm. seasons and I came in at the end. But it means that we did get to end a show together, which so much of when you get to the end of a show is you looking back at the beginning of the show and what it promised and yeah, what, what questions it asked. Um, yeah. And that was huge. And we really went back to like we went back to that pilot and the creators had had left the show at the time. But I worked closely with them and 
like the answers were really in that pilot. In That's terms really of, interesting. Yeah. Because I also asked, often yeah. think that when shows reach their ending, long running shows, that it becomes a negotiation between the show that the creators wanted to make or thought they were making the whole time mm-hmm. and the show that it's become in the minds of the audiences. Yeah. I mean, I often tell people that the, the, the last season is the, specifically a finale is when people are often angriest because they find out it wasn't their story. It was someone else's and it didn't quote hmm. end right. You know? Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult balancing act. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's... When we come back in 20 years to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, not, well, I don't <laughs> no, keep I'm talking about the end. This is so grim. Um, <laughs> would, you mentioned the experience in playwriting, and I, and I do want to talk a little bit about um, how you guys connected in, in, in our shared former home of New York. And I say former, looking at Carly. She, she hasn't quite let go yet. <laughs> I changed my driver's license, so it's official. Oh, I haven't done that. Oh, yeah, okay, me so neither. you're way ahead of me. Um, but when I was thinking about the overlap between playwriting and, and TV, particularly TV now, um, I was thinking about knowing how to balance challenging your audience versus rewarding them. Mm. A lot of my, and I think about that a lot in terms of new TV shows. Yeah. Um, but in my own experience, going to the theater or even being a failed, you know, college actor and hanging out with theater kids, um, challenging people is built into it. I mean, there's an, there was an aggression for like, that was built into like young theater people about yeah. wanting to. Once you're trapped in the room, you know. Yeah. Exactly. You're trapped. And so what are you going to do with it? So what what did you learn about that balance? You know, pushing people, but also hugging them while hitting them. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think like you can, it depends. I mean, it depends on also what kind of playwright you are. I mean, I think some playwrights yeah. operate, you know, by, you know, by challenging them with like, with language or with S- length. Sarah Kane, was that the, was she the Sarah, one? Who? Yeah, well, Sarah Kane's one of maybe maybe the most well, That was, I remember from college. She was the one that everyone was super into. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think you can... Um, I think in terms of just sitting in a in a in a dark room with live human performers mm-hmm. and and dealing with the story that's happening right in front of you is also I think that's sort of like the challenge and the reward because mm-hmm. you get to experience, you know, a story in, you know, in that sort of moment and it feels so active and present and mm-hmm. so and I think that can be very challenging for people and then it can be, you know, incredibly rewarding. Like I think there I think about seeing just like big pieces of a theater that you're maybe immediately resistant to and then you know three hours go by and you can't believe it and like that's one of my favorite feelings yeah I mean we're both huggers even in our playwriting (laughs) Mm -hmm. selves but I think we're also playwrights who love theater and who you know every especially being in LA and like remember thinking of theater and remembering it I think there's like a maybe we've in a sense like even romanticized it but like our love for it and for that space and how like a good play can feel more amazing than anything you've ever seen. I think we bring that to TV, that kind of feeling of like it should feel that kind of that feeling of this is a really special place. Mm-hmm. And this is a very kind of like every second is somehow alive and somehow um, both challenging you, but also kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. kind involving of involving you, magical I mean, yeah. and worth involving your time. Yeah. And worth your time. I feel like we've carried that over. And then. In general, wrestling is also just such a fun idea. It's almost yeah. impo- it's impossible to keep that side out of it. Like if you made a very um, kind of severe show about wrestling, I think you're just not <laughs> you're not kind of honoring the source material or the topic that you're very true kind of engaging with. I appreciate that you're talking about the, the sort of the intimacy of being in a in a room with live performers yeah. because I I often thinking mostly about TV think about the sort of rare intimacy of TV and that it's like beamed right into our homes, you know, and we're sitting yeah. on our couches in maybe not the most formal attire. No, you uh, hang out with these people far more than you hang out with your own family right. often. Yeah. There is an intense connection and intimacy. And I think that they're just different types of intimacy than the theater intimacy, but 
being able to see someone's face close up as they're mm -hmm. sitting on the toilet in a television show is... <laughs> it gets you something else. <laughs> <laughs> it does. This is a different it kind of intimacy. You, yeah. uh, before we get to the wrestling, I, last thing about the, the playwriting, um, I know that, I know from doing my research, which means listening to you guys on your star, co-star Mark Maron's show, that there was a, was it Ars Nova? Is that mm -hmm, your, yeah. you guys were part of? And I just wanted to hear a little bit more about what you talked about on his show, which was like a pizza and playwriting hangout club. Yeah, um, it was. Which yeah. sounds wonderful. It was wonderful. It, it still is such a wonderful And this is place. how you met initially? Yeah, we, um, our friend Kim Rosenstock started a playwriting group there. She was a literary manager, director, something. She had multiple titles. She, but yeah, she was. But she, and she started a, a writer's group and she brought a bunch of people that she had met. And I mean, I barely knew her and, and you guys have been friends prior, but she just brought a bunch of playwrights that she was into their work or had seen like some random show at Galapagos or something. And she's like, let's be, let's all, let's all be in a she group. She formalized and, what informally was yeah. happening at Ars Nova already, which is they were supporting tons of disparate, very unique artists, very young artists. Yeah. And we, I would say almost none of us shared, like there was almost no overlap in terms of our interests or voices. Yeah. Like the fact that, you know, you and I and Lynn Manuel were sitting in the same room with work is funny to me. Yes. Yeah. Whatever yeah. happened to that guy? Yeah, I don't know. He's, I think, I hope he's doing okay. What, was he going around <laughs> making up raps for every circumstance even then? Or was it that a late, a late well, biting Well, he was actually bug? part of yeah. a great show at Ars Nova called Freestyle, um, Love, Freestyle Supreme. Love Supreme, which I think he still yeah. maybe occasionally does. But yeah. that's how we first met him, going yeah. to freestyle shows. And then... So people are who they are. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> but it's amazing because like that... I mean, that group, I mean, more than half of our writers on the show now met in that writers group. Oh, wow. So I feel like it's one of those things where, you know, we're making a whole new thing in a whole new form. But it, with writers where we've seen each other's work consistently for the last 11 years at this point. And being point. able to kind of be a fan of someone else's work, I think, yeah. is really helpful TV training. Just because, you know, we have all these writers and in no way do we want them to write exactly like Liz and I on the show. Mm -hmm. But we also want them to have sh like kind of shared larger goals and to be able to write like our characters, but then bring a lot of themselves and kind of bring things that we can't bring. And, so and having it, a respect and just being a like a nerdy fan of one of your friends' work and then being able to kind of bring it onto the show is. I think that's both inspiring and also a little bit rare even, you know, in this business, because especially as it's become more like top heavy auteur you know, yeah. they're just, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this, I want to say this in a charitable way, not in a pejorative way. No, like, there just not. isn't time. They're, the stakes are very high. The yeah. production demands are high. Yeah. People rewrite aggressively because it just needs to be the same or it needs yeah. to be consistent. Yeah. So the idea of bringing in people because you're a fan of the thing that they can bring. Yeah. I feel like that's how it should work. Yeah. But it doesn't always. I mean, it's a balancing act, yeah. you know, no matter what. I mean, we learned that in a first season and trying to shape the show and making sure we were. Yeah, the script we didn't come being, in and then it was yeah. like magically like, yeah. oh. Yeah. <laughs> but we, this but I think in terms of hiring, gonna... we weren't trying to hire just ourselves over and over again. Mm -hmm. We were trying to hire people who really pushed us you in a lot of literary different New Yorkers recently yeah. relocated to Los Angeles? <laughs> we do. Well, we those, have those would be hard to find. Yeah. Those are hard and those are <laughs> dime a dozen in Silver Lake. But it is one of those things where, you know, like we sort of knew the magic of, you know, of Nick's writing and Rachel's writing and, and Kim's writing from like, you know, a long time ago. And then we also had the opportunity to discover, you know, some, some new voices that we hadn't heard. And it's sort of like the bringing that together and creating your own sort of like fantasy dream team is, is also part of, you know, and I the do benefit think, of making a show. And I think it like a, Jenji Cohan, executive producer and um, kind of fairy godmother. Fairy mm -hmm. godmother. I feel like she's been doing the same thing for years and it was 
kind of uh, encouraging to see that the model works and that the show doesn't implode and become so schizophrenic. It makes no sense. Like she's been hiring very voicey, yeah. often playwrights, but just voicey writers for a long time and finding a way to kind of marry the house style and some kind of very unique perspectives. And I, we've kind of, we benefited both from her guidance and from just the model that she has set up before us. Let's take a quick break from the conversation there to hear a word from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead, I've got great news for you. There's this awesome app called Hotel Tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. Sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These are not last resort places, Greenwald. They are actually cool top rated hotels that you want to stay in. I regularly use Hotel Tonight for my personal travels. Your personal journeys across (laughs) this great land of ours. My vision quests. With so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. I'm using it for my personal vision quest to Lake Tahoe. And, you know, if you want to plan in advance, even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can still book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Eero. The single router Wi-Fi model just doesn't work for our increasingly high bandwidth world. What you need is a distributed system, Eero. Whatever your Wi-Fi needs, Eero has the power to seamlessly blanket your home in fast, reliable Wi-Fi via Ethernet, wireless, or any combination. Simply set it on a flat surface or plug it into a wall outlet to expand coverage into any room. Not to mention, with the addition of the third 5 gigahertz radio and the second generation Eero is now a tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor, which lets customers do more in every room of their home simultaneously. And with the addition of the new Thread Radio, Eero can now connect to lower power devices such as locks, doorbells, and other sensors. Meanwhile, Eero Beacon is half the size, but it's even more powerful than the original Eero. Whichever model you choose, with Eero's incredible customer support, you can call and get a hold of a Wi-Fi expert within 30 seconds. Let me tell you something about my apartment, Andy. Yeah. I Got didn't... some dead spots, my dog. I sometimes am not connected to the net in my laundry room, and there's and that my laundry room is quite large. By the way, if you have a large laundry room, it's not an apartment. I don't know if you mud room, laundry room, whatever you want to call mud it. Room. Yeah, and it's, no, there, there's all sorts. Of, I don't know if it's built on top of a UFO or something, but I do not get Wi-Fi, or I didn't until I got Eero. For free overnight shipping, visit Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. Select overnight as the shipping option, and enter watch at checkout. That's E-E-R-O.com. Offer code watch at checkout. Now let's get back into our conversation with Liz Flayhive and Carly Mensch, the co-creators of Glow. L- let's talk about the wrestling thing because um, as a person in the world, I've grown up with friends who love wrestling, friends who I think I share many other interests with, mm-hmm. um, intellectual pursuits even. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm of the age where like, you know, the Hulk Hogan thing was on Saturday morning cartoons. Like yep. that was a big deal. I have never not understood something more. The yeah. appeal of something in my, in my life. And you guys made this show that, and I remember watching Glow too, it was on like Saturday afternoons yeah. and I didn't get, I didn't even get that. And you made the show that I have fallen in love with and I also, I get, and I love that you wrote to my mind, the greatest explainer of wrestling is the scene 
um, when Betty Gilpin's Debbie, character, yeah. when Debbie goes to her first match, and she go, you you allowed her to go through the process in front of us, so it was just helping us along, helping yeah. us into the world. What was your own come to spandex Jesus moment? <laughs> I mean, it's still evolving, and yeah. I think that we definitely started where you were, and kind of knew that some part of our audience would be in that position. Mm-hmm. But even before that, like, I remember we had discussions early on. We were like, how much wrestling do we have to put in this idea? Yeah. Like, I mean, it yeah. was like grappling with the idea that, like, grappling. we were both, true. Wordplay. Um, lots of wordplay. We were both, like, really attracted to it and repelled by it because, like, we mm-hmm. we had, we had were outside of it. And I think, like, the idea of, like, moving slowly with our characters to understand mm-hmm. wrestling was a big part of that first season. And I think build. if we didn't figure out why we liked it, we probably would have moved on from the idea because mm-hmm. I think it would have we would have been the wrong people for the project. But I think, like, I mean, first of all, it's fun to explore a completely new world. But mm-hmm. it, we also had a lot of kind of things that we personally could hook onto that then made us start to either like or get it um, from the inside. And I'd say that came from talking with Chavo Guerrero, our wrestling trainer, came from. One of our writers, Chris Diaz, who is, you know, a huge fan. But, like, learning even just, like, counterintuitive things, like, that a wrestling match is in no way about violence. It's actually completely about taking care of your scene partner and safely Mm -hmm. and, in fact, like, intimately going through this dance in a way that you're improvising but also, like, very much in communication and, you know – yeah, so much about caring for your scene partner really made sense to us. And so much mm-hmm. about starting to see the wrestling ring like a stage. Um, and so much yeah. about kind of like, you know, are these stereotypes on some level like archetypes that mm-hmm. we could play with and graph onto rather than just offensive reductions? Or if they are offensive reductions, can we somehow contribute to the conversation? Um and I think we always we talk, when we talked about the show as a body show yeah. and about, you know, seeing women's bodies in a way that you're not used to seeing on TV and having it be a very physical show and like telling a very physical story mm-hmm. that would work on, on, a very, on a character level, on an emotional level. I think that was something that when that got personal mm-hmm. yeah. for us and when that sort of dropped deeper into the story, that was that was sort of a moment that we we understood what we had in terms of like just another narrative layer that we had just never gotten to play with before. And we took a full year to write that pilot. And mm-hmm. a lot of it was because like we had to figure out the characters and we had to, but what really took the full year was us figuring out a way to make the wrestling personal and not just like something you sprinkle on to mm-hmm. a TV show about people. Um, so, so whether it be that like how we were going to use the wrestling in the show as and we use the pilot as a promise to show you that like every time you're in the ring, it will be it will have meaning. Yeah. It will have context. It will you it'll, will yeah, it will you, make a character you, deeper, you, it'll move a story forward. It, you know, it'll and do we, the other audience work. will be invested in the yeah. people in the ring. Yeah. yeah. It's not just for show. It's yeah. not just for show and it's not just kind of like the gimmick that we kind of, you know, chased after and and kind of and it's not an overlay. Yeah. There's yeah. something about like just also figuring out that we needed to know these women first before they even mm-hmm. played wrestling characters. So we weren't sort of, you know, like there's such catnip to like the characters in the ring fully taking over. Mm-hmm, and yeah. if you have a sense of the women as characters ahead of time, then you're digging into them at the same time that they're creating those characters. So I feel like we're talking about how long it took to crack the Ruth Debbie that character, type. the dynamic, the yeah. relationship, how that was yeah. going to be constructed, which is done so subtly and artfully throughout that oh. pilot. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that process? Who Who came first? How did you... I mean, I, I honestly, I think it's like a magic trick what you did in that pilot because you you 
it, it feels like rules are being broken in terms of you give us a protagonist, we learn that she's doing something that is on the face of it pretty awful and she remains our protagonist. We remain completely invested in her as an emotional person who is not Terrible. at full heel, yeah. you know. Um, that's very delicate work. I can understand why it took a year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we just sort of, I mean, we just sort of fought through it. I think like it's, you know, we just kept digging into that character. And I think there were lots of questions asked by, you know, like by Genji and by other people, you know, they're like, can, can, how do you come back from this? And mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's interesting. Like, how do you come back from this? Mm -hmm. Like, isn't that an interesting thing to deal with as you're dealing with this whole other, like totally bananas world that this woman is entering into and the idea of desperation and people trying like that's just interesting like mm -hmm. i think you think about like i think about people like mike white who they you know you watch things like enlighten and chuck and buck and like like i love that tone and i love being invested in somebody who you just feel so shaky about emotionally mm -hmm. and like i think there's an investment in in characters like that that feels real and and human and like so profound and and complicated. And so when you're doing something like in the ring where it's good versus evil, it's face and heel mm -hmm. to have a protagonist who's super gray and complicated and you still invest in emotionally feels like, you know, that just felt like the goal. And we just kept going until we felt like we got there. We're also both from the school of thought that, you know, like if you're thinking of a story like a care machine and, you know, your protagonist is your way through, like you're going to care about a flawed character often more than you're going to care about the kind of on paper perfect character mm -hmm. just because there's something messy that feels relatable and human. So that like if you watch that pilot and you don't see her screw up, there's a part of Ruth that's maybe like slightly almost grating or slightly mm -hmm. and it's actually her huge fuck up that suddenly brings her back down to re relatable human shit level, well, which I, yeah. is some... But I, I also think that Allison helped us out a ton because a ton. there are not a lot of actors who we could have, you know, it is a delicately written script, but it's very easy to completely lose all empathy based on just who you choose. And Allison is walking a tightrope in an, like a miraculous way. She's, she's astonishing yeah, in the show. She I mean, is. I don't think she's, she's you know, top of the call sheet and yeah. getting attention, no, no, but I don't think she's getting enough credit for this performance. We We're agree. with you. I mean, she, it's so hard what she's doing and she makes it look so easy and she's so, she's so skillful and, and yet she's so open as a performer. Like she yeah. just has, she has so many colors. Her technique is impeccable. Like she is so precise. Her comedy is so precise she's and amazing. so funny. I mean, she's you don't, so you funny. can't count on that. You can't yeah. count on, and you getting, can't count on can, getting someone no. who can do both. Yeah. <laughs> but not just both. Like the list goes on. It's yeah. like, she's nuanced. She's funny. Her eyes she's, can do it. Yeah. You know? Her eyes can, she is physically like right. doing you know, like a, she's a great wrestler. She's a great wrestler. It's, she's it's giving, so crazy. She's, Isn't it she's weird? telling stories with her full body and her face. She's, you know, like incredibly just kind of surprising at all moments, but also, yeah, she's got so much emotion kind of like, and she's so, she's just a warm body, like yeah. as a performer, like mm -hmm. she really like, she lets you into all of it. You know, I don't know. I just, we, she's we also like, her. she's a precision machine. Like she shows up, she knows exactly she's not one, just where her blocking those, should yeah. be. She can like look around the space and see where everybody else's blocking should be. She'll keep it quiet, but like yeah. she's figured out the scene from every angle. So much of this, yeah. you know, can come, having an incredible pilot script is a huge thing, but, but it's, it's like chance, right? I mean, you get her you and, very and, and Betty yeah. and, and Mark who will, will feed his ego in a moment, I yeah. promise. But, um, 
those two, I mean, they're, they're, they're just so well paired, yeah. you know, well, in, in all, in all ways, physically, emotionally, yeah. and the tone and color of their performance. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to say, while I was thinking of it, I love that the way your show gives that relationship and that uh, friction room to just exist on its own. That Rich yeah. Summer, who's wonderful, he doesn't have a voice in that argument. No, he doesn't right. have a thing to say. And that <laughs> makes a ton of sense in the world, yeah. but is rarely represented as such. It's a different, I mean, that's a different show, you yeah. know? And I think like our, our, we knew at the core, it was about a female friendship that was, you know, sticky and, and complicated and, you know, and longstanding and, and that's something to keep digging into. And I mm -hmm. feel like that's our, I feel like that's our, like our PowerPoint and yeah. our spine. And we knew that, and we knew that Mark is not at the spine. He just happens to be one kind of tiny facet of one of our. Well, he's actually a good way to bring up another topic about just the character work that you've done here, which is, I, I love that you very subtly, um, exposed what I, I think is another sort of fallacy about, about TV writing, which is that characters can be complicated and lovable. And in fact, one could lead to the other. You know, I, I've heard some people say that they were surprised that the Sam character isn't more awful, you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in, in a number of ways. Not that, not that he's a saint in his yeah, behavior, right. but I love that about it because what you've done, and again, I think it's just very generous writing. All of the characters have humanity from the minute we meet them. And as a viewer, that makes me invested in them. Yeah. So that then when he screws up or, you know, acts out, I know what it's coming. I know that it's coming from a place of, of hurt or confusion or whatever. And like you were saying about, um, about Ruth's character, we're not thrown off the train, yeah. if that makes sense. I that, mean, it's that, very boring to write characters who are uncomplicated. Yeah. I think there's it like... Might be, it might be clearer sometimes when you're figuring out a scene. You're like, oh, this is like the crappy versus, bad guy. Yeah. He's going to always be a dick. And like, we can just go back to that well all the time. And like, it's, it just fundamentally isn't as Which I think interesting. helps. It, it's definitely like a good measure for the audience too. Because it's like, if we're bored, the audience is definitely going to be bored. So it's yeah. kind of following our own instincts of when we're bored, when we're anxious, when we're excited, I think tends to be a good just kind of marker. And I think Mark is a great example of someone who maybe even at the beginning, we didn't fully imagine all mm -hmm. of the kind of capacities of his, you know, like the kind of capaciousness of, like of his character. And then seeing Mark perform as Sam, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was like, you couldn't flatten that character because Mark himself is an incredibly empathetic person who... Yeah emotionally approaches the world and other humans. And then, it, you know, to kind of flatten all that out felt like, you know, it'd be like tying a hand behind your back while you're writing. Like, why would you not serve what you have and kind of enrich the show by... Yeah. And we were saying beforehand that I, I was thanking you because I think you've made his podcast exponentially better because <laughs> he's much happier in the world and happy about the opportunity you've given him. Podcast was pretty good. It, podcast us. was always good, but I just think <laughs> yeah. it's even more fascinating now, I should say. Um, I'm a huge fan of it. But I... I, I, I I do have to mention, he's, I think he's incredible in the show. I think that he is a real performer and actor in a way that I, I, see, I think even he seems surprised by. But he <laughs> holds himself in every scene and he's is... He's so honest and every, he's emotionally, he's got like a very high bullshit meter and just has emotional instincts that are so authentic that, yeah, he brings every scene. And, and was very open, it world. seems like, to to play in scenes, you know, and oh, this, yeah. This, yeah. this chemistry that he has with, with Alison Brie and is just evident, you know, yeah. whether you choose to go down that road character wise, but just you, you kept putting them together in cars yeah. it was fun. and good yeah. things happened. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was great. And I think he, it was really interesting to watch him, you know, protect, you know, his character emotionally and just also be like letter perfect on his lines. And mm -hmm. like, he really, 
I mean, he he really dug into that character and was was committed to figuring it out like through the text. And that was also yeah, I think he was there was so much trust. And I think on some level, it was, it's a protection mechanism because then it's I mean, he said it himself, yeah. like if the thing yeah, fails, it's, it's like our fault. That's not him. Um, his, name, <laughs> his name isn't the name of the show. But I think it time. helped him separate from himself so much like cleaner and easier just because he kind of took a leap of faith, went with the guy we put on the page. Yeah. Was he as yeah. misanthropic on set as he keeps claiming to have been in his he podcast? He was delightful. He was, I mean, he, he definitely himself, like, but that's, yeah, but that's kind of the There's extent tons of, of actors it. who do that yeah. just to get into their own. He, he just keeps talking yeah. about how he just watched The Sopranos. He did. He did, he did watch spend, The Sopranos a lot. Yeah. Also, like, you spend insane numbers of hours on set. So, you know, yeah. even if, if we're on set for 10 hours and he spent even two of them sitting by himself watching The Sopranos. That's a lot. You know, it's There's a lot. still eight hours to do There's other still eight hours to interact with other people. Yeah. Is it fair to say, and I feel like I know this just from watching the show, that that you fell in love with your characters as well uh, in writing them? I mean, everyone has a moment. I was thinking a lot about Chris Lowell's character. You give him that moment with the glitter on his eyes, which is such a beautiful grace note for this character um, that, again, in in lesser hands, the character could have just been comic relief. Yeah. It almost, you know, if he had not come back after the cocaine robot party, I'd been like, well, that was fun. Yeah. I wouldn't have thought less of the show. Right. But no, yeah. look, look how much he loves this. He's just a spectacular performer, too. But, I mean, for us, like, to create an ensemble, um, like, it, that felt like part of the job, too. That, and that's what made it that, – it's what makes writing the scripts incredibly hard and yeah. incredibly rewarding because you, you know, you're not just leaning on somebody to be sort of cheap comic relief. Like, we yeah. – we, and we you had seen him um, – Carly had seen him in a play at Ars Nova. And it all comes had, back it, there. It does. It's does. really the tricky. Society's jacuzzi. Yeah, was a oh. weird play. A weird, wonderful play. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think on some level, it's like you know, we have so many characters to service that why bring on someone that you don't want to write for because they're just going to be taking lines mm-hmm. away from other very talented people. So, you know, I think we we saw every single. We took casting very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, casting was really intense, and we never bring someone onto the show that we're not going to want to write for because it just feels almost like an offense to yeah. the bounty of talent that we have. Well, you've set yourself up in a wonderful place because it's just opportunity. You know, yeah. if you, I could ask you about characters that weren't as highly served in the first season, but you cast them for a reason. They're there. Yeah. Right? yeah. I think every single character in our head, like we would be excited to write a full episode for, and that's a great feeling. How much of the, um, and it's a very specific skill mm-hmm. that you're alluding to, the, the, be able, the, the ability to balance an ensemble. Um, yeah. That's a hallmark of the Genji school. It is, um, yeah. A school of which you are both proud graduates. Mm-hmm. Although you're currently enrolled as... Um, what would First you, time like, student. First yeah. time student. I mean, like, yeah. I didn't get to ever work directly for her on one of her yeah, shows. Yeah, but now you're but like now you're I'm, like a um, graduate. You're like I'm like a I'm like a you're TA. Teaching, you're TA. I'm a TA. Because yeah. you you were telling me before we started that you all work together out of uh, some sort of uh, factory flop house slash. Yeah, something. we see it her. Not, it, I, let me. It's not a flop house. It it's is classier gore, than that. It's a gorgeous building in Koreatown that we're lucky to have a home in. Orange uh, writes down the hall from us, so we're all in this. We sort see of, them in oh, the lunchroom. Yeah, it's really nice. That's so nice. It so, is really nice. What what. Um, what is that course that she teaches, whether whether you're actually auditing it or not? Like what what does she – because obviously that was yeah. – you know, in promoting the show, it was promoted as, you know, coming from Genji. From yeah. Genji. Yeah. Um, the immediate thing that 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 critics and viewers could, could grab onto was this ensemble, yeah. Yeah. idea yeah. of an ensemble. I think – you know, and it's funny because she doesn't prescriptively teach this class. She just very much demonstrates it, how she thinks, but she's very much – Someone, both as she writes and as she is in real life, who has so much curiosity and empathy for every person she interacts with, 
you know, like if she takes a Uber ride, you're going to hear a 20 minute like she'll she'll gotten the entire backstory of that Uber driver and we'll hear about it and she'll <laughs> be excited. Um, she even knows like the names of their aunts and uncles and kind of when their kids graduated. Um, and I think that idea of kind of you can that every person is worthy of having their story told, that every person has a story that mm-hmm. um then that doesn't stop when you get to a television show just because, you know, the camera's over here. It doesn't mean that, like, the 10 people standing in the background don't have full lives and full stories. Um, and there's a joy to kind of turning the camera sometimes and finding those people. I feel like she's definitely um, passed that on. In terms of how to balance it, I feel like that's an instinct that you just have to build up over you know, like we even are still finding it in editing, sitting there being like, oh, I feel like we should switch the order of two scenes because we've been away from Ruth for so long. We've been away from the main story. As as writers, um, how do you keep that muscle loose? And what I mean is, you know, one thing that three of us share is we've all moved here recently. And that um, access to life and to just happenstance and yeah. stories that can inspire you is hugely reduced here. And just by the nature Agreed. of life, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't just wander. You have to work a lot harder. Yeah. yeah. And and I think, but part and parcel of that is as we, you know, as we get older, it, the opportunities to do that and meet people and just be out eating pizza on a Tuesday night or whatever, those go down too. So how do you keep yourself, how do you keep your ears open basically as creative people in the world? I mean, I think it's also just like prioritizing it. I mean, I think we had, um, like there was, there was a moment where we were going to jump back into thinking about season two and we were like, no, we need to just like feed our brains we can't just start mm-hmm. we just can't pick up where we left off because there's like we want new stuff like we've spent all of our energy so that's why carly had a baby so carly had a baby so we could have some more material um <laughs> just like no we, we i mean we, here's my like, old pitch we spent really we, we spent, spent weeks, weeks just kind yeah. of we thought about it like a giant brain bath where we watched tons of documentaries we watched we, movies from the 80s we hadn't seen we read books we went to the reagan library went to the valley relics museum like we just sort we of brought, we brought in wrestlers yeah. too we spot we brought in kia Stevens, who plays Tame on our show to give us, you know, her, to she gave us a treasure trove of experiences and stories and perspectives. Yeah, like she we, just talked to us for three hours and we just took notes. Chavo and, brought in some mm-hmm. professional lady wrestlers who also spoke to us about their mm-hmm. careers. Like we really. We called wrestling. We called um, writers who had written um, for wrestling magazines and, for, you know. And, like, yeah, a wrestling magazine editor yeah. from the 80s. We talked to Cinder Wilson, who yeah. is a, just a journalist mm-hmm. of. You know, yeah. like just to think about larger cultural yeah. things and fashion things from the 80s. Like we really kind of cast a wide net so that we would we hit pause yeah. knowing that if we didn't yeah. do that, season two would be just kind yeah. of. That's so essential. We tried to get Elvira to come in and talk to us <laughs> yeah. and we almost had her, but she got a little busy. And we still do. I think she the passed? writers. No, she didn't pass. We no, had her and busy. then her, her mom was a little sick. Yeah. So she was taking care of her mom. She, we, had real, she had a real She had a real reason. reason. Um, but we're, even yeah. now, I mean, I think the writers are very good about, you know, we're always sending articles around and podcasts and, um, but it's true that you do have to make it a priority. Otherwise you will just become dumber and kind of less attuned to what's what's happening right now because also this is this is your job as showrunners as well as navigating the creative half and the business half both of which are hugely demanding and in different i just feel like in very different ways and i can imagine it would be very i don't want to say easy but very possible to imagine being swept immediately back into the machine of needing to produce episodes and all the people counting on you and so taking that time seems like a very smart and we kind of did that we looked at a calendar did the math realized i was having a kid and that we would lose the (laughs) opportunity to do this and then went to netflix begging for some extra weeks and they very 
um, kindly obliged. Which I, I, I picture Netflix as like the episode of Oprah where she gives away a car. It's <laughs> like just it look feels, un, just look under your it's seat. It's real and, close. Yeah. I mean, like in that, like they are. I mean, the way that they support us is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I have, I've only worked at two places, so I can't, you know, it's not like I've been beaten down by some sort of TV machine. I'm never <laughs> going to pretend that. But just in terms of how they, just how they engage us on a decision-making level, like how they respond to scripts, like it is, it is a conversation and it is about supporting the show, the show and what we want to do. And that's, it's hard to do because yeah. I think, and I, and it's like between them and, and Genji letting us, you know, make the show we set out to make, even if we disagreed at moments about what to do, mm-hmm. she really figured out how to support our vision of the show and give us the best possible guidance, you know, without dictating anything mm-hmm. really, which is, yeah. I mean, I think we know it's extraordinary to get to make a first season of a show where you don't feel like you've been destroyed emotionally. <laughs> yes, you, you, know? you both look very healthy. Look we, I mean, yeah, we came through pretty yeah, much on stage except for energy. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to go no matter what. Yeah, um, yeah. I, in the in the small amount of time we have left, I did want to ask about at least one specific moment, which is the first specific moment of the show, the opening monologue that Ruth gives, which is just such a perfect scene. I just, I still think about it. I mean, I, I wonder if this goes all the way back to what we said at the beginning about, what you were saying at the beginning about how playwrights have to consider beginning, middles, and ends. But yeah. Um, you know, again, for after, so many shows that end with, you know, a, a body being dumped in the river or something. Here we have the scene that that is completely exciting, smart, funny, and sets the tone, you know, in a surprising way. Can you tell me the origins of that opening, opening scene? I mean, I... And this is the Ruth monologue yeah. scene. I do remember who, we were searching That'd be so for, weird if we didn't remember yeah, what like, we were I'm talking sorry, about. What, what, we talking what do we... About? No, because it's funny. <laughs> what was like, that scene? In that year of trying to figure yeah. out what the pilot was, there were definitely versions where we started with the ex, with the jazzercise scene yeah. first. And it just never... We we knew we needed a scene like that. And I think we kept... And then it felt almost... It almost felt so obvious. It was like one of those things that when you say it, you're like, oh, of course. Just yeah. because we have so many actress friends who tell us stories of their terrible auditions where they're reading, you know, our long running joke was exposition wife. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 I feel like it. Yeah. Well, I think we also knew that like we were, and again, like we couldn't get away from the fact that we were telling a story of an actor who wasn't getting work and how heartbreaking that, that creative frustration is and, you know, and how, connecting it to the idea of being a, you know, a woman auditioning for parts like that, even as things get better, you're always going to be called in for, you yeah. know, a, an underdeveloped wife or an, you know, an overdeveloped girlfriend or, you know, yeah. in all the wrong ways. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, I think like that's, you know, and there are so many shows and even great shows where there's one great female role. Mm-hmm. And some of those shows are delightful, but you think about it and I think about it like just going back to like high school and college where like you're, you're doing plays and there's one spot for a woman. Yeah. And it's crazy because there are, you know, a hundred talented actresses. And I think that, you know, only a hundred, only a hundred, but just comparatively. Sometimes 99, sometimes 101, depending on. But it's just just like that, that deficit was so (laughs) intense to think about Mm -hmm. and to experience and, you know, being in, in New York and auditioning, you know, you just know how much is out there. and Just this idea of um, in storytelling, for us, a lot of the first season and the pilot was to unlock each character, we had to answer the question of why do they need glow? I think that was kind of mm-hmm. one of those guiding questions for each character. And to answer Ruth right off the bat also just felt like just a really strong way to start 
you to both get on board and care about her and like her. Well, it's interesting because I think actors generally are low on the totem pole of sympathy from people <laughs> in the true. world. Mm-hmm. You roll um, your eyes when you hear a show about an act. Yeah, yeah. Actor. or you hear about sure. how hard it is to be. But, but you know, and you guys know this very well from not just making the show, but from being in the theater world in New York, there is something that is so um, risky, you know, about <laughs> putting yourself and your body out there. That is what is being judged. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I was making a joke about doing theater in college, but the reason I started writing more and quit acting classes because I realized, well, if I'm writing, then I can do it here, put it over there, and other yeah. people can look at it. Completely. But if I'm acting, then they're just saying, well, you're wrong. Yeah. You're not right for this. Yeah. yeah. And that's just so, uh, I mean, it's just debilitating. Yeah. And yet people still do it. It's No, it takes like a certain constitution and a certain just d- denial of all sorts of things to keep going yeah. and like a just sort of a, a magic belief in something you know, even if you don't get to see it, except for like every once in a while, it's really, it's like a, it's a wild career path. It's a lack of control that is really staggering. And yeah. so to, yeah. so to lo- even watch the show works on so many levels, but to watch it on that level, to see these women granted this complete control. Yeah. Um, Over something that maybe is not what they originally yeah. wished for. So as we said at the beginning, um, we have no idea about another season of Glow, but I'm very optimistic and hopeful that hopefully we'll learn soon. Um that said, should this great news come down from on high, what, well, let me take it one step back. You, you paced the first season so wonderfully. You had a, yeah. something to build up to and you went, you know, granularly step by step learning how to do this. Um, that is a really nice uh, um, fenced in kind shape, of yeah. shape mm-hmm. for a season. Yeah. Um, should you be able to do it again? Are you um, likely to f- find a similar shape or now, I mean, now it's wide open, right? You could do almost anything. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think we have things that we loved about the first season. Um, but I think the danger is, you know, re- repeating things. Yeah, we're and, not trying to. Yeah, we're it. not trying to make the the same the same season, but just the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in terms of like what the women experienced the first season, like it was, it was pretty limited in terms of, you know, the rest of the world too. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very, they're, they're kind of in a little bit of a bubble and it's exciting a, to see what a, happens. A motel bubble. Yeah, motel bubble, uh, you know, just making something that really only a, f- a handful of people have seen bubble. Um, you know, the meta experience, like making something and waiting for it to come out and see what happens yeah. is, is something to, you know, to play with. But they didn't us. put the whole season of glow. They up didn't. One. No, but I think also just like digging back into like what TV was back then, like local, local LA TV is fascinating to us. And just like the sort of, I mean, we purposely paced that season, not just because we thought it would be the most perfect Mm -hmm. shape, even though we love that shape, but because of the promise for more story, because there was so much about wrestling that still excites and confuses and (laughs) intrigues us. And if we kind of burned through that in one season, then it would be a lot harder for us to kind of re-engage with as much of ourselves. Yeah. And I think we we also knew that once the women learned how to wrestle, they couldn't unlearn it. So if we were going to – we kind of knew that once we hit that point, we would be required to tell a completely different story. Yeah. So we purposely paced that season knowing that kind of like saving stuff for like, you know – which is maybe what you shouldn't do in TV. Um, <laughs> but we did But it. we did. We saved a lot and mm-hmm. held back so that if given this, you know, second opportunity, we we have so much stuff. Like we have like, I mean, I can't even tell you like the it's, number of seasons we would fill with the amount of things we're excited to to kind of engage with. I hope you get a chance to do it. I, I, mm-hmm. I can't, I mean, I still remember, 
sometime in the 80s going to my great aunt and uncle's apartment for Passover or something. And then it was, it was boring with the adults were saying. So I went in the bedroom, turned on the TV and glow was on. And I, for many years, I thought I hallucinated it. A and lot of like people thing, feel like it's a it, fever dream. It like can't it's very, really have been real. Yeah. yeah. Um, and well, maybe, which is like a weird space to occupy too. Like it's, it's something that like happened for some people and didn't happen for other yeah. people. And for some people they're like, did I imagine that? And which is and to both honor yeah. that and then make completely our own thing. But yes. that's like, that's also, you know, it's both a high bar to be like, there was this insane fever dream made for yeah. three years in the eighties. Yeah. But exciting too. Yeah. yeah. Um, may you keep fever dreaming. How's that? <laughs> we'll try. We'd be honored. <laughs> <laughs> Lizzie Carley, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thanks. Thank you. Fun. And good luck with whatever may, may come. Whatever's next. happening okay. right Who now. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. That was my conversation with Carly Menge and Liz Flayhive, the co-creators of Glow. Terrific people, a terrific show. I love talking to them about creativity. Uh, I also love talking to them about um, Los Angeles area preschools and the joys of bulk shopping now that we've left New York. But unfortunately, that was on the cutting room floor. Um, Remember to check us out on Talk the Thrones live on Twitter after this Sunday's episode of Game of Thrones. And we will be back Monday with a new episode of The Watch. Great job, Baranskis! Today's show is brought to you by the Showtime original series Ray Donovan, starring Leah Schreiber, John Voigt, and special guest star Susan Sarandon. Damage control is no problem for Ray. And keeping up with the chaos is no problem for you. Stream and catch up before the new season by downloading the Showtime app and starting your free trial. And don't miss new episodes of Ray Donovan every Sunday at 9 p.m. only on Showtime. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing. In addition to looking great and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. Whether you're out there jogging, you're out there working, you're out there living, or you're just chilling out at home, Mack Weldon is the, is the one. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor all that and they are shipped right to your door if you don't like your first pair you can keep it and they will still refund you no questions asked go to macweldon.com you get 20 percent off your first purchase using promo code watch